Hello, and welcome to Marriage Unchained, the art of one flesh, where saving marriages, saving families, and saving souls is the flavor of the day. Now, let's join our host and author of Marriage Unchained, Catholic Alpha Radical, Jerry Jacobs Jr. Hello, I'm Jerry. Welcome to Episode 9. Today's focus is Deacon Brad Anderson, 43 years, a successful marriage interview. So sit back, relax, take a chill pill, and get ready to rock. But don't duck. Can you feel it? Catholic Alpha Radical, coming at you now. Hello, and welcome to Catholic Alpha Radical, where my main mission is to keep you out of divorce court and where marriage unchained, the art of one flesh, divorce, combat coaching is the flavor of the day. While helping men understand marriage and courting, not dating, in the Catholic faith. Why? Because dating is for sex and courting is for marriage. This is episode nine. Bam. So our next segment is the quote of the day. And as we always do, we always start out with our quote of the day to get us fired up and ready to go. So let's do this. Quote, there are two reasons for the primacy of sex over love in a decadent civilization. One is the decline of reason. As humans give up reason, they resort to their imaginations. That is why motion pictures and picture magazines enjoy such popularity. As thinking fades, unrestrained desires come to the fore. Since physical and erotic desires are among the easiest to dwell upon because they require no effort and because they are powerfully aided by bodily passions, Sex begins to be all important. It is by no historical accident that an age of anti-intellectualism and irrationalism such as our own is also an age of carnal license. End quote. Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, three to get married. Please remember to share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage or relationship. Rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email today. Now, our next segment, it's time for Catholic Alpha's Radical Rant of the Day. The cowardice of men, the top 21 reasons men have caused the 2018 scandal in the Catholic Church and why we're not going to take it anymore. 
Before I start, as usual, this will be a 21-episode series, one per show. Also, understand that the infiltration of the Catholic Church with homosexuality and radical feminism, plus the watering down of the faith and the stripping away of the Latin mass was planned in order to destroy the morality of those within the church, priests and laity, and is not the teaching of the Catholic faith. Why was this done? One, to destroy the American family. Two, to destroy our morality. And three, to destroy patriotism in America. In order that we become susceptible to communism and its ideas. It's very important, as I've been saying for the last eight shows, nine, this is the ninth show, but for the last eight shows, it's important that you understand why the church is in the place that it's in right now. Why we have... um. Um, acts going on in the church that are not proper, why we have modernism in the church, why there's a lot of liberalism and people don't believe in Christ or understand the teachings of Christ anymore. It's all been planned. And what's happened is the holiness has been is is been trying, has been eradicated from the Vatican and the holiness has been eradicated from the church. And there are men, as I always say, there are priests and cardinals um in the in the um in the church that have been fighting this for decades and now it's really coming to the forefront and it's time for men to understand the mission we have before us if you want to learn more about how communism has infiltrated the church why there's modernism why there's problem in the seminaries why churches protestant churches the catholic church are being attacked i go way more into that in episode two Another thing, many people always want to bash and leave the Catholic Church because of the current scandal, and that's pure ignorance. Yeah, everybody wants to judge and see what's going, you know, judge and take their stuff and leave, go to another church, or the Protestant church, people in the Protestant church want to leave their church when things don't go wrong, um, when they, I'm sorry, when things don't go right. And what you have to understand is you can't fight the church with outside the church. The evil one wants you to leave your church. If you're not leaving the Protestant religion and coming to the Protestant Christian religion and coming to the Catholic faith, stay where you are and fight there. Remember, the first church is the Catholic church. They attack us first because we're the biggest. We're the church that Christ started. Why do you always think they always go after priests? Why do you think they always go after scandals in the church first? They never talk about scandals in your little church on NBC Nightly News or on Fox News or CSNBC. They're always talking about the Catholic Church. There's a reason. Okay. All right. So, again, I talk more about that in episode two. Do not leave the church. There are always going to be Judases. How loyal are you? You can't abandon Christ. Will you abandon Christ or will you state and fight? Learn the cap, learn the Catholic faith, learn the Christian faith, learn what it entails, the true teachings of Christ. And then you can battle. You can battle Satan. You can battle society and you can battle the evil within your family. If you don't understand uh, the power of God and the power of Satan, there's no way that you can battle in the supernatural world and in the physical world. Okay. So 
Let's get started with the number nine of the top 21 reasons that men are responsible for the 2018 scandal in the Catholic Church. But first, let's review the first eight. Number one was the first radical Catholic Alpha Radical podcast show episode, and it was refusal to accept our role as men. Number two was allow the men in the Catholic Church popes, cardinals, bishops, priests, deacons to water down the Luther teachings of the Catholic faith and of Christianity. Number three, they didn't fight for Christ during Vatican II. Number four, an unwillingness to sacrifice for Christ. Number five, they have nothing they are willing to die for. Number six, have begun raising soft and selfish boys, a.k.a. wusses. Number seven, they don't understand our mission and purpose as men to protect, defend, and serve God, marriage, wife, children, society, and at large. Number eight, we didn't crush feminism. Before each number, I will read a quote directly from the document containing Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's testimonial so that you can understand the gravity of this situation and how it's affecting the church, how it's affecting your family, how it's affecting society, so that what you can now speak out against it and explain it and tell people what they can do to battle this in their lives because people will lose hope. We're human, okay? And we don't want to lose hope. That's a sin, okay? That means we start losing hope. It's why it's called faith, hope, and charity. God has rules around that. You don't lose hope and you don't lose hope. And when you start losing hope, you start becoming despair. You start getting to entering into despair. And that is something that we cannot allow. So that's why it's under, you must understand and get all the information you can and start speaking out against this, start battling it and start understanding that it's not just about homosexuality and men taking advantage of young men and boys. It's not just about feminism. It's not just about abortion and all this stuff. It's about a bigger, larger, huger picture. And then it's time for us men to stand up and begin to fight. But first, you must educate yourself and learn what you're fighting against. Um, and also, um, I will place a link to the full document um, of Archbishop Vigano's testimonial in the um, in the show notes. I mean, Archbishop Vigano, quote, it is known that Sodano tried to cover up the father Messiel scandal to the end. He even removed the nuncio in Mexico City, Justo Mueller, who refused to be an accomplice in his scheme to cover Maciel in his place appointed Sandri, then Nuncio to Venezuela, who was willing to collaborate in the cover-up. Sodano even went so far as to issue a statement to the Vatican Press office in which a falsehood was affirmed, that is, that Pope Benedict had decided that the, that the Maciel case should be considered closed. Benedict reacted, despite Sodano's strenuous defense, and Massia was found guilty and irrevocably condemned. End quote. So what we're talking about is another scandal, and they're talking about another scandal in the church that uh, Vigano was saying that he helped try to that he, that he and Pope Benedict the Sixteenth tried to to squash. But as usual, what's happening? 
there's evil in the church. They are calling it now the homosexual mafia in the church, the gay mafia, and that they're trying to suppress and lie and get and make everything twisted to be what they want it to be. And and that's what happens when people um when people try and when people want things their way, um, whether it's good or bad, we're human. We we do things sometimes that aren't ethical or moral, and we try to get things our way. And so what is happening now? They're you know, they're lying, they're trying to cover up all the stuff. And let's let's be real. Why do people try to cover stuff up? You know, think about it. If 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 let's say quote uh Pope Francis or um, Cardinal uh, Merrick, I mean, uh, Cardinal McCarrick or, you know, the spokesman for the Vatican. I mean, if if we're always trying to cover stuff up, what does that mean? You know what it means? It means that people know they wrong. <laughs> you know, it means people know that they are wrong. You don't try to cover up stuff if you don't suspect it being immoral or people going to look down on it. Or whatever. That's why people hide. That's why they try to do things in the dark. And what's happening now is men in the Catholic faith, um, people in the news media, people in the Catholic on all the blogs, the, the blogs that are trying to be reputable, the news, the news channels that are trying to be reputable, the radio stations that are trying to be reputable, the com- the podcast that are trying to be reputable, reputable. They're all bringing this out and they should bring it out. Because people, Satan, the snake, likes to operate in the dark. And once you bring him out in the light, people have to answer for themselves. Okay? So that's number, number. Um, that's the ninth quote. And it's, it's sad, man. It's really sad. And when you start to think about how, um, you know, how all this stuff is just not one thing and how so many things had to happen and come to fruition before um, God allowed this to come out in the open. Um, it's, it's sad when you think about it, that we have to go this far before people start waking up. You know, I have some, uh, one of my friends. He said, oh, Jerry, you got to go to Baltimore and you got to stand up and and, and, and protest the USSB this conference and everything. And I said, man, I've been fighting this for three, four years, dude. You know, and he's like, you still should go. And he's right. I still should have went. But here's the thing. Here's what I understand. A lot of people, my friend, he, no, my friend, he's never been asleep. But what I will say is this, you know, people fight battles in their own way. He's fighting the battle by going to Baltimore to protest. I'm fighting the battle by speaking on this podcast, creating this podcast and, and you know, this relationship podcast and stuff for marriage and single men. And uh, someone else might fight writing articles. Someone else might fight, you know, uh, they might get more vigorous and learning their faith so that they understand what's going on better inside there so they can spread in their family. You know, everybody fights they're in the way, but listen, don't fight the punk way. Don't fight the punk way. Of, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep everything to myself and I'm not going to say my opinion and stuff like that. Why? Because then nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. If you are Catholic, if you are Protestant, 
Okay, if you love Christ, if you love God, if you love the Holy Spirit and you're trying to be open, love is obedience. Okay, love is not how I feel. Love is obedience. If you're trying to be obedient and truly prove you love God and the Trinity, that is obedient. That's what, you know, you prove you love the Trinity by being obedient, straight up, straight out. Ain't no in between. Okay, you prove you love the Trinity. That's how you do is obedient. So if you truly love the Trinity and you want you want the truth of the teachings of Christ to come out. Okay, because if you if you don't, if you if you keep Christ, if you keep watering down Christ's teachings like, you know, there's no hell um, or, you know, only Judas is in hell or only only Jeffrey Dahmer is in hell, uh, you know, only. Uh, Manson's going to hell on those kind of people are going to hell then that's watering down the faith because that's not what Christ said so what we have to do is we have to understand we have to preach the four last things death judgment heaven and hell the four last threat things when 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 it's preached those things bring fruit to Christ to the faith to society to the church okay that is the, when you preach on those things that's not watering down the faith all right, because you preach on some, something that has substance to it. So um, moving on, like I said, that was, um, you know, these scandals are getting old. And that's because the bishops aren't taking care of their job. The men in the church, the lady aren't taking care of their job. We're not holding them accountable, you know, and when you don't hold men accountable, they get lazy. <laughs> the truth. So. What is the number nine reason men have caused the 2018 scandal in the Catholic Church? Drum roll. Number nine is we didn't crush the Protestant revolt. And remember, for 1500 years, everything was was Christ, the Catholic Church. Because everybody knew it was a given that Christ started the Catholic Church. He left Peter in charge. Matthew 16, 18. He gave Peter the rock. He made Peter the rock, which is in in Greek. I think uh, Peter Christ changed Peter's name. OK, um, he changed it to Peter. Peter means rock. OK, why would Christ? Because because Peter's name was Simon. Once Peter started following Christ, he changed his name to each once Christ. I mean, Peter Simon started following Christ. He changed his name to Peter. Why would Christ change somebody's name? He changed his name and his name means rock in Greek. Okay. I could be wrong. It might be Hebrew, but I think it's Greek. Okay. So, you know, we have to follow the logics of what Christ was trying to do. The problem the problem with Christ is he he's never just comes out and says, Peter, <laughs> you know, you you are the man. You know, I'm leaving you in charge in those words specifically. You are in charge of the church. You start my church and everybody else. You make sure that you come to the church and come unto Peter. He didn't say it like that. What he did was leave clues. He left other scriptures, verses and things. He changed his name to Peter, which lets you know consequently that his name means rock. Um, it does, and it means it does mean small rock, but that's because Christ is the big rock, okay? And he left as a um, a subsidiary of his church of, of his teachings. He put Peter in charge and said, "Peter, you will, because I can't be here. I have to go back to the Father. You here, so you will lead the church. You will start the church. You and the apostles and Acts and all that stuff." 
the Holy Spirit will come and, and do his thing, you know, and that's what's going to happen. All right. So we have to understand that for 1500 years, it was the Catholic Church. And then what happens? What happens? What happens? Luther comes along and decides he's going that he's going to let Satan inside of him. And then what happens? He's getting influenced by the demons. And then what happens? He rebels. He's a priest in the Catholic Church. He, something else you probably didn't understand. Are uh, you Baptists and Methodists and Jehovah's Witnesses? You probably don't understand that, you know, that, you know, Christ, uh, you know, uh, Luther was a priest in the Catholic faith. See, it all started from the Catholic Church. It all did. Okay, for 1500 years, now 2000 years. All right. So Luther comes along. And so my question is, where is the betrayal priest now, Luther, who decided to rebel against Christ Church, the Catholic Church? Okay. Luther decided to rebel. Is he in heaven or is he in hell? Okay. He has hit the, the weight on that man's soul. Because he removed the teachings, he changed the teachings, he left and started his own church, which 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 uh bred into Lutherism. Then we had the Baptists, then we had the Methodists, then we have Jehovah's Witness, now we have the Mormons, all these very, very young religions. And basically those religions have spawned into more religions, like you know, John Jimmy John's church on the on the corner of 21st and capital you know uh joe blows church down the street you know the christ the, the church of the living water of christ blue gym sweet car desire church on the corner of 110th and sebastian street i mean come on man this is ridiculous christ didn't start 30,000 40,000 churches he started one church why because you can't split christ if you understand the Catholic faith and the true Christianity, you can't split Christ into 30 or 40,000 different churches because he started one church. He left one man responsible for the church in charge, and that was Peter and, and then the, 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 the apostles. Also, what would what I mean, if Christ came back today, you know, what will he say about the over 30,000 denominations of so-called Christians? Okay, 30 over 30,000 is probably 50,000 now. Also, are they really Christians? Do they really follow the true religion of Christianity and how it's meant to be? Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. I know so many different churches and so many different, like, like Jehovah's Witness, they believe that there's only 144,000 people going to heaven. Now, where'd they get that from? You know, People like the Mormons, they go by by the the um the their prophet dude. I forgot his name, but they go by what he says. Where did he where did he get his authority from? See, that's the problem. Christ gave authority to the Catholic faith, and he didn't give he didn't give authority to Luther. He didn't give authority to Jehovah's Witness. He didn't give the authority to the Mormons. He didn't give authority to the to the uh, Muslims. He gave authority to Peter, which is the head of the Catholic Church. OK. And are they really Christians today? They water all these different denominations have just like this one denomination. They just decided they're going to start having women priests. You can't women. The reason that you can't have women priests is because then if you understand how 
the Christian religion really works in the dogma of the religion. Okay. Women, women are married to Christ. Men are married to the church. The church is, is their bride. Christ's bride is the church. And when women become nuns, they are married to Christ. They are dedicating themselves to Christ as their husband. When priests become ordained, their bride becomes the church, just as Christ's bride was the church. So if you have a woman that has become, that is a priest, then what happens is Christ is, she's, Christ, you know, he's committing adultery. How can Christ marry, how can a woman marry uh, um, another, if a, she be a man and then be be married to the church? A woman can't, if the church is a woman as bride to Christ, you know, as, as Christ's bride, how can a woman be married to a woman? You, ha- you know, think about that. That's why women have their roles as the nurturers and the creators of the, of they, they, they're the givers of life. And when they don't do that, when they get out of their roles, things get screwed up. Okay. So um, that's why we must ask other denominations. Are you really of Christ? Are you really? You know, if you don't have think about Christ, you cannot believe in abortion and then not believe in, you know, adultery. Okay, either you all in with Christ or you not. You can't pick and choose what you want. In the Catholic faith, we call those cafeteria Catholics. You know, I don't want to believe in abortion, but, you know, I believe people shouldn't hit each other. You know, I believe people shouldn't disrespect their parents. But, you know, I believe uh, adultery is okay. You know, you can't pick and choose what you want to do. It's very important, though. That's what I call we call watering down the religion. You can't you have to stick to the true things of what Christ said. And these Protestants who you think you can quote the Bible and all that stuff. Sure. You try and dog out Catholics because you, you know, we think we don't love the Bible. We do love the Bible. You know why? In mass in, in mass every Sunday. We we have we 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 speak on and talk about eight, six, seven, eight scriptures in our missile, which is where the mass is where, where the church is contained, the readings of the church are contained. Okay? We have daily mass every we can go to church every single day in the Catholic faith. We have church every single day. Do you as a Protestant or you just have church on Sunday and then you have Bible study on Wednesday? And when I say we have church every Sunday, I'm not talking about Bible study. I'm talking about we actually have a, a condensed form of church like Sunday and is condensed into smaller and shorter segments on Monday through Saturday. Bam. So you have to ask yourself if you are a Protestant and you say you love Christ, am I in the right church? Am I really where Christ wants me to be? I'm going to move on. Um, the men in the Catholic faith have a lot to answer for, don't we? We change and everything. We just sit back and let things happen. The Protestant revolt happened just over 500 years ago. And look what it spawned. Here's what the I'm going to go into some things that the, the, the Protestant revolt has resolved, has, has spawned. While Catholic men in the in the faith just sit back. We don't evangelize Protestants because we're scared of them. We just sat back and let Luther do what he wanted to do. Now look at what we got. So the first thing was a separation of church and state. Okay, God is the ultimate. He's the creator. There's no way you'd separate church and state. Why? Because if you know God is in everything. So God is in the state. Without God, you wouldn't even have a United States. 
Okay, you can't separate church and state. All right. First of all, that's not even the Constitution anywhere. That's some stuff some people made up, just like they're doing in the church, trying to make up, trying to make women priests and trying to make um, people, uh, boy, all these girls on the altar and stuff, not abiding by the discipline and doctrine and dogma uh, of the church. Next, a complete watering down of Christ's word in over 30,000 so-called Christian religions. We talked about that. Next, a complete rebellion against authority in the church, in the family, and the society as a whole. This is a big one. When God is not looked up on as the father, and then you take him off the courthouse steps, you take him out of the schools, you remove anything that has to do with God inside, you know, in the society, what happens is the family suffers. And then when you, so then you, then people stop, you know, talking about God in their homes. So what happens if God is not the ultimate creator, then what you have is kids, children start to rebel against authority. Please see what I'm talking about. Look outside your window today. Everywhere you see kids, kids born and being raised from the 1940s on, all of them have rebelled against authority. Why? Because systematically, Satan has convinced people, the human man, the human man to sit back, be a punk, sit on this couch with his arms crossed, being aloof, being lazy and effeminate. And he has conditioned the society to remove God from um, from the from the from the society, from the country, from the world. And what happens is then children grow up and say, well, I don't have to be beholden to anybody. I can do whatever I want to do. Move on. Um, so, oh, and then parent, uh, the next, the institution of relativism in the church and in the colleges and universities. Yeah. People want you to go, you know, everybody wants you to go to college these days so they can manipulate you so they can brainwash you into believing that there's no God that, you know, there's that, uh, that God doesn't exist and we're made from monkeys. Yeah. We are so satisfied with being made from monkeys. You are really proud. You are a human person. You are a great creation of God, of man and woman. And you let somebody tell you in a university <laughs> that you come from a monkey and you applaud that. See the logic in that? Is there any logic in that? You are happy to be called. I am created from a monkey instead of having a creator of being create you as the highest creature in the universe. OK, anyway, moving on. The Institute. Um, so also relativism, which means is you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe. And then we deny the truth when it's convenient. The ultimate truth is the creation is God. OK, when you don't have the ultimate morality, which is God, then what happens is we get stupid. Sin makes us stupid. The more you sin, the stupider you get. Please. That I'm gonna say enough, and that's another for a whole another podcast. Um, also moving on, the heresy of modernism, which is taking a stronghold after Vatican II. Modernism means basically liberalism. That priests um, have and, and bishops and the, and the leaders of the church, a lot of them have tried to go into the 2000s to the new millennium, trying to change the traditions of Christ, trying to change Christ's words, trying to change the mass, trying to change the liturgy, trying to change you know, all the statues and trying to change everything inside the church to, to, to make it look barren, to make it look like a Protestant church, to make it look like Satan. Okay. Next, a fair of men to pass on the one true faith of Christ, the Catholic church to their children. Yeah, that's what's happened. People have now, and like I said a little bit earlier, men have stopped 
allowing the faith to be transferred to their children. And the, the catastrophe of the free that has caused has been immeasurable. Women no longer want to be mothers. Why? Why? Because why? I could do whatever I want to do. I have to sacrifice or nothing. God's nowhere. And when you don't have God around, you have no guidance. You don't even know what morality really truly is. Everybody talks about this ethics, ethics, ethics. Lawyers have their ethics. Doctors have their ethics. You know, therapists uh, and counselors have their ethics. All a bunch of bull. Without God, that stuff means anything. Because then without God and his way, the natural law and his way of making you happy because he knows what's best for you, you can make your little so-called ethics be whatever you want them to be. You can change them on a dime. You know, you could change your ethics on a dime, Mr. Psychiatrist, and you know you can, and Mr. Lawyer, you know you can, because without true moral, if you don't know where true morality and ethics come from, and character and virtue, it comes from God. He has laid it down inside of us. It's called the natural law, which is what we are conditioned as human beings to know. And you can't be a psychiatrist and understand the human mind if you don't understand the human condition of where morality and the creator come from because you don't understand how God how you've been created what you were created for why were you created what are you supposed to do see and that's Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen talking right there I got that from him and you know what when I consider that he's right how are you going to say you're a psychiatrist when you don't even understand the mind and where and, and the creation and the natural law of, of of where of where things come from, why we think the way we do, why we're a man and why we're a woman. If you don't know those simple basics, how can you claim to understand the human condition and the human mind? Come on, man. Okay. Next, a rebellion against the fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father. Parents have no respect from children and are looked upon as imbeciles, especially fathers. Look at look at today. A vast majority of children, once they reach the age of five, five six, seven, once the, I will say the age of reason to make it simple. See, the age of reason in the Catholic faith is the age seven. That's where kids, children become responsible for their sins. Okay, and what they do up on this world. Okay, at the age of seven, that's why you're supposed to um, make sure your children are baptized as babies. Why you baptize your baby to get rid of original sin? Okay, you didn't know that, did you, Mister Mister Protestant man? You don't wait and let your and just let your kids decide when they get baptized because you open them up to the influence of the demons and of de of, of Satan up on their lives. And so today, parents are completely disrespected. Their the fourth commandment is broken billions and billions of times a day. Why? Because children no longer accept authority. They no longer understand what morality truly is. How are you going to tell your kids if you a wife and you don't submit to your husband, how in the hell do you expect your children to submit to you? Just because you are their mother, why should they? You don't submit to anybody. You don't submit to your husband. Your husband your husband doesn't submit to God. So why should your children submit to you? There's no reason to. You understand the logic? When you remove Christ and God as the head of the household and your husband given his uh, in the natural order is given authority by God and then you are given authority over your children as a mother and your children, they why should they listen to you if you don't have God around because you're not submitting or you step you're a wife you step outside your husband's authority and go screw around with um with other men or you go get a career or you go on try to make money for twelve hours a day 
because you don't want to sacrifice anything. You take your kids and put your kids in a daycare all the time. How will you expect your kids to listen to you? And I'm telling you, if you just look outside your window, the older you get, the older you get, the older you get, the older your children get, the older they get, the more they rebel against you. Next. Oh, how far men have come. Oh, how far we have come. Yeah, we're so advanced. No morality and no one even realizes where true morality comes from anymore. Therefore, making up their own, which leads to an abandoning of chastity, sex outside of marriage, abortion, no-fault divorce, contraception, same-sex marriage, and the almost total destruction of the family. When you don't have chastity, when you don't have God, no one cares about your um if if having sex outside of marriage will make them happy anymore. No one cares about marriage. No one cares about having children. They just want to kill children for convenience. You understand what the Protestant revolution has done? The Protestant revolt has done? People think it was great. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. Look at the things that helped spawn. All right? Chastity is important. Chastity the marital embrace is meant for what? Marriage. Why? Because marriage is meant for creation and education of children and forming them in the in forming them in um in the ways of Christ. Okay? Next, everything that basically has to do with the natural order and how God set things up to make us happy has been gone. Has been removed. And we think that this is all bad luck that 9-11 happened. We think this is all bad luck that, you know, millions of babies have been killed. We think it's all bad luck that men want to marry men and women want to marry women. We think it's all bad luck that, you know, that we lose our house or we get evicted or we lose our car or we lose our job. It's all bad luck. No, man, it's not all bad luck. It's luck. It's, it's that God has pulled back his grace because we are as a country and you as a man and your family and your wife have chosen to the side of Satan. You have chosen not to be obedient. What I said at the beginning of this segment, obedience, true love of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit and Christ is obedience. It is not, you know, do what you want to do at your convenience when you want to do it. And when you do, when you act like you're your own God, God says, okay, you chose this. You chose you as God. You chose Satan. So you don't love me. So you don't need me. So I'm going to pull my grace back. I'm going to pull my power back. And then you deal with Satan on your own. If you miss the big stuff. Hmm. Next. Yes. The men in the Catholic church have a lot to answer for the destruction of means and means of souls and families throughout time. The Protestant revolt, Luther, has spawned the destruction of millions and millions of souls throughout time. And now the current led, I mean, the current uh, leadership in the Catholic church has the same responsibility, not as bad as Luther, but man, it's bad. Okay. The ripples of evil and the consequences that have followed are astounding. We don't understand that we as a human creature, as a human person, we cannot fix sin. We cannot fix fix bad things. We cannot fix catastrophes because we are not infinite beings. Only Christ as an infinite being and God can come down and fix sin and the ripples and ripples and ripples of evil that sin creates. Okay. 
we we cannot fix so when you sin when you do something wrong to somebody when you kill a baby when you have um you engage in a divorce um and you leave your husband your husband leaves uh, a man leaves his wife or a wife leaves her husband you know what happens is you can't that those sins are ripple out through time and they don't stop and that's why Christ had to come to save us because um because we as 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 um as finite beings, we could not fix all the sin that has accumulated because it, it's never evil never stops until until man stops it. So what happened? Christ became man. He came down and he stopped it. But now what are we doing? We're we've done it again. That's why we have the Catholic Church to get everything back right. No wonder why we have the pope we have. No wonder why we have the cardinals we have. No wonder why we have the bishops we have. No wonder why we have the priests we have. No wonder why we have the deacons we have in the Catholic faith. It's been said that God gives us the leaders we deserve. And if that's true, who do we ultimately blame for this crisis in 2018 in the Catholic Church? I must again take us back to Genesis where God the Father took Adam's little butt and he who was our first father and he tasked him with protecting, defending and serving this land and everything in it. He gave Adam responsibility, which means every man from Adam forward has this duty. Yes, the men in the Catholic Church have a lot to answer for. So what do you think? Send your questions or comments to RadicalQuestions at CatholicAlpha.com. Send your questions or comments to, or your show ideas, as a matter of fact, to RadicalQuestions at CatholicAlpha.com. Please remember, again, share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage and relationship. Rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email today. All right, and welcome back to our next segment. Our next segment is called Warrior Stories. Warrior Stories is our segment on ordained men who are fighting the spiritual battle in the Catholic Church every day through sacrificing their lives, their bodies, hearts, and souls for all ultimate warrior, Christ. And today's warrior is Deacon Brad Anderson of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. His current assignment is St. Mary Parish in Greensburg, St. Vincent de Paul in Intercity Outreach and Advocacy for the Ministry of Charity. He previously served at Holy Angels Catholic Church in Indianapolis and is ordained June 23rd, 2012. Something funny, as a child, I hated anything studying funeral homes and hospitals. Jesus said, Tag, you are now a deacon. 
and he loves all three today. So, presenting to you my Warrior Story interview with Deacon Brad Anderson. Hey, Deacon, how are you doing? Doing okay, brother. Hey. Doing well. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, you decided to spend some time with me today. And I'm not going to try to take up too much of your time since I had all these technical difficulties, man. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get right to our interview so that we can get some knowledge from you. Um, the first question is, so tell me, Deacon, how did you grow up with Christ? And, where, and were you a cradle Catholic or are you a convert? Well, I'm a cradle Catholic. I grew up in a, a small Indi uh, town in northern Indiana, Peru, Indiana. Um, St. Charles uh, Parish there uh, was from a very Catholic family. Um, my, uh, uh, I guess, education was a Catholic uh, grade school. Uh, a lot of uh, people coming to bring the faith to me. Uh, Probably the dominant uh, force in my upbringing in the church was my paternal grandmother, who was a very devout Catholic, mm -hmm. and she kind of kept me between the lines. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So, uh, growing up, was God in your family? I know you said your and your and your grandmother, but what about your immediate, like your mom, your sisters? Well, and growing up was you know I had uh, God was definitely in our family. Although we, had, I came from a very challenging home life. Uh, my father was a uh, severe alcoholic. That problem eventually put him in his grave. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very difficult time. Now, was dad a was dad a mean alcoholic or yeah. a smooth, cool alcoholic? Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> pro probably more mean than smooth. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, let, let's just say there was a lot of drama and there it was uh you know an okay. eventful time well, coming good. up all right but uh but uh, the, our faith really carried us through that uh in the example so was your mom your mom was really the one then well my mom you know my mom was not catholic until later in life she actually gotcha. did not convert till her 60s till well into her 60s so that would have made you what 40 or something yes yeah all of her children were grown and most of her grandchildren were in the sacraments and then she finally de uh, decided to take the plunge she was a very good loyal woman had her hands full though uh mm -hmm. so uh most of my teaching went fr from my paternal grandmother as well as my older siblings i, uh. I was a baby so, like, the, to me, or the baby of the family, the nearest uh, so age. So, how many of, of you were there? There's four of us. Gotcha. Uh, eight years difference between me and my near, nearest sibling. The eldest was 12 years older. So, mm -hmm. I was the caboose of the family. And my older uh, siblings were very helpful and uh, kind of taking care of their kid brother. So, basically, you, you, got, you came to the Catholic faith and or Christianity more through your grandmother and your siblings than through your parents is what you're saying. Yes, basically. I would say that would be clear. Wow. Although my mother was a very good Christian. Right. Uh, so, you know, so I would not undercut her. She taught me a lot about being a Christian. But nope. the, but the Catholic but the faith. Ca gotcha. Catholic faith was pretty much uh, outside my immediate home. So tell me how you met your beloved Kathy. High school sweethearts, man. Oh, man. Me too, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, uh, we, we both went, uh, we were in high school together. I remember very, uh, clearly, uh, we were in a chemistry class of which I was bombing and uh, I had a real bombing like F or D. D, but in my house, that means you couldn't play football. Yes, that was my house. <laughs> <laughs> the school won't let me, but right, I, I, right. my uh, elder brother was my, uh, 
I guess, guardian. I lived with him in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had pretty strict rules, ex-Marine, all that stuff. So a D, so I was struggling. I, I, I love football, hated school, but love football. Yep. And yep. Uh, I, I noticed this young, beautiful blonde, or excuse me, brunette gal, who's also very uh, smart. If you know my wife, she's really smart. So did she help? So she helped you with the. Yeah, because when it come time to, uh, to, uh, they, they were picking out, um, uh, lab partners and I uh-huh. basically hurdled a, a lab bench and got next to her and got her as a partner. <laughs> and uh, that's how it started. I'm not sure she was happy about that, but. So how did y'all start going. dating and stuff? Uh, basically just kids in high school got to know each other. Uh, mm-hmm. um, started dating, uh, we stayed dated almost all through high school. We were married right out of high school, eighteen year old, eighteen years old when we went up to Isle. So, so the ma- you know. how did you did, did you ask her or how did that come? How did that come about? The, the, the yeah, ask- we 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 fell in love very. So let me ask soon. you this: How did you ask her to marry you? Oh, Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I was outside of a of a high school play. Okay. Uh, that she was, uh, so probably wasn't the most romantic. It wasn't very good. Oh, uh, that's don't worry about that, yeah. man. But, uh, but yeah, we did. We, we went up the, the uh, marriage to the altar as, uh, two kids with more, more guts than brains, but, uh, 44 years later, it seemed to work out. So now it's, you've been married 44 years yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. So how many children do you have? Uh, three, two daughters and a son. Okay. And, uh, so we, how many, how, like with Kathy, when you're, when, how was your okay? Were you stone cold Catholic when you? Uh, no, I when was when you first got married. No, uh, well, when we first got married, you know, I was Catholic. Um, I would say, you know, more cultural than. I don't think my faith was that strong. What about uh, Kathy? Kathy was not Catholic, although she was a very good Christian. Come mm-hmm. from a very good Christian, intact. Her parents mm-hmm. were just. So excellent. The question is, how was your marriage different before both of you became Catholic to after? Well, it. Uh, well, that's a hard question, Jerry, because you know what happened after she became Catholic, and we were married probably five years uh, mm. before she became Catholic. I remember, I remember y'all telling me that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we had a pretty good marriage, and I was very pleased. It was very good. But really, what happened is, as she was going through joining the faith, uh, it kind of, I guess, inspired me or sparked uh, me to become a better Catholic. And that happens a lot when a, in a married couple, spouse, right? So actually, right. the person converting has a way of grabbing hold of the lax cradle Catholic and kind of lighting a fire under him. And that that definitely happened with me. Mary, my wife says that all the time that yeah. I drug her. Once I converted, really converted, I kind of pulled her along. Exactly right. So, like, um, that's exactly what happened with me because so for instance, I would go to mass, but on Sundays we'd go to mass on Sundays, uh, but. You know, we'd miss a Sunday or so. I really wouldn't care. Like holy days of obligation, things like that. You know, that that really yeah, like was, this past Thursday, right? Yeah, like, I was like, like ah. But I, I never will forget when she was probably about two months away from uh, Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she showed up in the living room, and I was I was just hanging out, and her and the three kids were dressed ready for church. It was I don't even remember the holy day. It was it was during the week. She says we got to go to mass. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's not really that important. And she goes, it's very important. And I had these three little kids just staring me in the eyes and her staring me in the eye. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so at that point, you know, I had to step up my game uh, because uh. because once she started into the faith, 
uh, it was very, very inspirational. She was like, if you've ever been fishing and you, you watch a fish come out of a, you know, water, like say muddy water and then hit good clean water, they just take off like a rocket. If you've ever watched fish in the water, when they hit clean water, they just, it looks like a rocket going off down there because they love that oxygen. Uh-huh. And my, my wife reminded me of that. She was like a, a fish that hit good water and man, she never looked back. So, so tell me about your devotion to, to, I, I want to know the, I mean, tell me about your devotion to her, to cat, to your wife. Well, she's worse, you know, we're intertwined. I mean, our marriage, uh, especially with her conversion, we, we both were active in ministry. Mm-hmm. They weren't always the same ministry. We didn't really work as, as a husband and, or as a couple, but we always supported each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, so my faith and, and, and my love of life and my family uh, is so interwoven into who I am. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be honest with you, it's it's kind of hard to uh, describe because, uh, you know, the, the Scripture tells us uh, two join together and, you know, become man, uh, become one. Right. And uh, that's very true. Uh, uh, our, our faith is intertwined with our marriage, within our children, within our grandchildren. Um, but— but we are very much uh, th- the word soulmate is probably overused. One flesh. Though. See, I, yeah. I like using God. The one, fl- the God, I like using yeah. God, one flesh. It's kind of like we yeah. we look God one flesh because basically what happens is each of us use each other to see God better, right. to be- get closer to God. So right. God is, you know, I mentioned before we were married very young, but we did have the good sense to include God into that relationship. And I think that's why we beat an odd, the odds that so few people do who marry that young. Normally, that doesn't end well. But for us, uh, you know, having God in the relationship very much uh, made everything better. And everything. That, that's why I don't, you know, that's where like when people have, are in, have infidelity and yeah. like you were talking about how like you and your wife and God and your children were kind of like all one flesh into each other. Right. So it's like when, so when people ha- go have infidelity, you can, to me, like if I think about that sometimes about how, what makes people do that. And it makes me wonder that like, like say I, I decided I was going to be not be faithful to my wife. The first thing that will pop in my mind and, and does pop in my mind is it could never work. Well, that it could, could never, never work. work. And the other With thing the, is, is you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I was taught that you you protect oh. the women in your life, you protect your family, you defend it. Right. So an infidelity is is really an ultimate uh, injury. Right. To the spouse, also injures the as any sin. All sin injures the sinner. I don't care what sin you're and talking about. And don't that piss you off when yeah. people say, oh, the kid's going to be all right. Yeah, because kids are never all right. <laughs> they are never all right. <laughs> no. Never. No. And uh, unfortunately, you know, in this day and age, we all have a lot of firsthand knowledge of other relationships. And I've counseled people. And probably the most disheartening thing is what happens to the children in that situation. It is. And it's, it's really selfishness. It, it's very selfishness and, and, and foolishness because it, it's very painful to both those who commit Adultery, and of course, all the surrounding victims that that sin. Uh, it's a very profound sin. So, when did you start to realize that you had to be? No, I'm sorry, I want to back up one. When did you really fall head over heels for Christ? It probably. When did your, when did your mind 
your logic and your heart come together and go, okay, yeah. It probably began the first when I met my first child at the birth of our first child. Mm-hmm. Um, just the whole process uh, put into perspective that may, that maybe a young mind doesn't always understand. But as we raised the children, especially when they became began uh, sacramental prep, first communion, you know, you you realize what kind of gift Christ has given us, and when you look at the teachings in the in the life that we have as Christians, mm-hmm. it just was so much better and so fabulous than anything else I've witnessed in life. You know, uh, there's nothing better than a good Christian home. There's so, nothing- man, was you was you in the room, dude? Do what? Were you in the room, in the hospital room? On my third, not the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, on I, my I was third. Before our last one, I was, yeah, like, I, was I, was like, I was like, nah, I don't want to do this no yeah. more. Yeah. You know, and because everybody tries to go, oh, you know, you should go in there. Yeah. I'm like, nah. Well, you know, during the, that was a new thing starting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and my wife had all three of her pregnancies were tough and. Really, the third one I demanded to be in there because I didn't think the baby was going to be okay. I didn't have a lot of faith, so I didn't want her to face that alone. But turned out I was wrong. No, what you? What do you mean? You said you didn't have a lot of faith. A lot of faith that the child would be okay. She was having a lot of trouble carrying it. I just something. Sometimes you get a hunch, mm-hmm. and so, thank God, praise God, they're not always right. I really thought we were going to lose that child, and I did not want her to be alone in that room. Turned out we didn't. He was actually the healthiest of all three. But, Man, my first yeah. wife, dude, we were in yeah. the in the Navy. I was I was in the Air Force, but uh-huh. we were in Guam. And then there was a uh, uh-huh. we, but everybody had their baby. You know, you've been in the military, I think, right? right? Yeah, you know, everybody had their baby at the Navy hospital because there was, and uh-huh. so they had these long hallways. I would say from that that I'm, I'm, I would say two hundred yard hallways, yeah. man. And she wasn't ready, and the doctor needed her to be ready, and I had to walk her 200 yards, that hallway, for two or three hours. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. man, she was in serious pain. So I, I kind of know what you mean on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but actually, I was not in the military. But uh, Oh, okay. okay uh, some of my family was. I'm familiar with, somewhat familiar with military life, but I, was, okay. I did not serve in the military. All right. So when did you start to realize that you had to become the leader and spiritual guide of your family? Well, it, it, it probably went back to um, – that again, when the children started coming, my wife started being pulled to the faith, and she was looking to me for instruction. Uh, oh, you know, so I realized, you know, I just had to, I had to really get. You had to get together, brother. I had to get it together. <laughs> I had to do a lot of review. I had to do a lot of and and now let's, not, you know, let's go into that a little bit. Now, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, you might if look if it's too private, yeah. you don't want to, but. What are some of the things that and you're thinking in your head when she was talking to you? You got man, I, I got to get together, man. What well, are some of the things you were thinking. The first thing, well, a lot of what she was saying. First of all, I have to. I, I guess I would have to uh, explain that this is in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. So the catechesis was really bad uh, in oh. this our season and where we were at. Okay. So there, she was being taught some stuff that I didn't. I'd never heard of, but more importantly, she was not being taught certain principles and uh, uh, teachings that I was brought up on. And because right after Vatican II, uh, 
it was not a good time in the church, especially for catechesis. The, right. This, the religious instruction was was more experiment than passing on. Mm, so, that sounds you know, familiar in 2018. Yeah, hmm. yeah nothing <laughs> like you think it's bad now, man. The really? 70s was horrible. It was just horrible. Wow. Um, so at least in my part, in my neighborhood, my part of the church where I was living. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back and review a lot of this stuff. I also had to a gut check for myself because some of the stuff she was teaching was very was very much within the faith, and I had to ask myself, "Do you really believe that?" You know, all now, of a sudden, this was your wife talking. Yeah, that my wife was, was getting. Saying, this, oh, yeah, okay. that no, she's trying to discern this okay. these principles and stuff, uh-huh. and. uh I had to, you know, I honestly had to say, well, no way. Do you sort of help her through that? I had to go back and say, do you really believe that? Got you. So you, you see what I'm you saying? You had to get your understanding of Christ together. Yeah, I really did in the church. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, because gotcha. you know, I, sh- I should say, like, you know, my I, when I said I was more culture Catholic, it was more of as a, uh, I, I guess, a duty that you be. I stayed in the church more out of a sense of duty or loyalty than out of a relationship with Christ in my younger years. It was just something you didn't do. You didn't walk away from church. Right. Which is not bad because that kept me in the game. But that's not the same as having a relationship with Christ. Right. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. You got to be in the game. You got to be in the game. You got to be in the game. (laughs) And and I'm grateful for that. But when I really started my relationship with Christ was in that period. And then it just grew from there. Uh, Probably hit its peak when I was in. Early forties, about forty, forty-one. Uh, I started. That's about what happened yeah, to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So okay. Um, what are some of the steps? I'm sorry. <clears throat> what are some of the steps you took to accomplish that? When, when you said you wanted to start to uh, get get together more with Christ, understand the church, and well, I, I did a lot of reading, did a lot of uh, material, and and and. Mainly started praying again and taking time out to pray. Isn't that the most important thing, yeah, man? That is the important thing. People take that for granted. Well, that's why we're in the position we yeah. are today in the country and in the church. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. our church can get pretty academic at times. We yeah. tend to study yeah. more than we tend to live it. And then yeah. and then people also get in that habit of spurting the rules. That's right. Instead of the empathy. Yep. You had to have the empathy with the rules and the prayer together. Yeah, because really this journey we're on is not a science experiment, you know? <laughs> we're, not, we're not back in that high school chemistry lab, right? Know? We're not right. running formulas. It's right. a relationship. It's a journey, and you know that takes time. That takes effort to build that relationship. So, this is a this is a, not a weird one, but when you started becoming the the head, the spiritual head and the head of the family, and you asserted your role as that because, well, that's what you're supposed to do is the natural order. Did Kathy resist? And if so, did feminism have a role to play in it? We, we missed a lot of that. And, you know, and honestly, you know, when you talk about leadership roles and things like that, I have a hard time, uh, uh, qualifying that because basically our, my relationship with my wife is, you know, we're equals. In other words, right. you know, when, when God created Eve, he, pu- he pulled it from the rib cage. He didn't, you know. Right. So side by side, he pulled, you know, the bone from Adam's rib. But the leadership role is there. I think that husband and wives lead differently. Uh, I think that the natural order of things says the male probably has to be the tiebreaker on most things, but some things he's not. You know, like for instance, t- you know, there are certain parts of 
what I call the finer time uh, things in life, you know, caring for kids, enjoying themselves, how to enjoy the family, building family time. My wife's much better at that, so she would take the lead. But, you know, the spiritual lead, making sure people are walking the walk, meeting people, mainly our children, walking the walk, it's something that grew very naturally between us. Feminism, I caught a break on that in a <laughs> <the> sense. <laughs> That you got well, a break. I did catch a break because I fell in love with one. Now she's a very strong, independent woman, right? But but what we know as feminine feminism today, especially 2018, we call them feminazis. Yeah, see, she that's that's never right. I've come in contact with many right. women who suffer from that movement. Yes, my wife wasn't one of them. There were certain expectations she had, mm-hmm. and you know, I never. Uh, I don't think I can remember ever putting her in a position to have to call me out on that as far as leadership roles doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but feminism is not something that she, she is, uh, in our case, she, uh, in our relationship, she's probably the ultimate nurturer. She is. I My mean, wife is too, man. Yeah, man. And, and I mean, you know, the bottom line is she's got that down and she's happy with being that, you know. Right. And most and women, most, and I yeah. found that most women, yeah that assume their roles like the blessed mother did. Yeah. And they're more, they are so more content and happy than the ones that they can't, you know, they're always trying to get away, get away, get away. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, so, so I guess there was a lot of that. She was never taught to hate or distrust men. Okay. Right. And I guess that's, that's the short of it. Her father, her grandfather, were ex were just awesome fathers, awesome husbands. They were, you know, great examples of of Christian manhood. See, man, and, and see, so she didn't really, and she appreciated that, you know, um, and you know, she, you know, she expected that from me and from everyone else. I mean, that was her expectation. So I never put her in a situation where she had to spell that out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. Uh, that's good. And I didn't really, and, and, and really, I, I really phrased the question not that well, but I really meant because ultimately the man, even though I really meant more spiritual head of making sure taking, taking the ultimate responsibility for the, the, the bringing the family along towards God and holding the church. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of more what I meant. Cause I know, yeah. you know, our wives are our helpmates. They are God. I like to call it. Our wife's responsibility. Now, a wife can't nag you and be on you and all that stuff. Right. But it's a guy. I think a woman's job is to guide her husband and to be a side I would, help. I would agree. You know, not, but yeah. she can't be. I've always, you know, every time a woman, every time a woman tries to overrun and control the man, it, it just, it, it's just it, a bad situation. It, it, it is. <laughs> and, and, and it's also bad when the man goes the other way you know There's right the whole he thing goes about, the dominant he yeah goes, right he, he starts swinging like i am king right and that's just as bad right right um, the bottom line is is you know a christian marriage is you take you you love each other as in willing the good for each other right so taking care of each other those things work themselves well there, it's what i call division of uh, labor there's there's certain things in our relationship she has the lead in because she's better at it than I am. <laughs> and there are certain things in our relationship I had to lead on because I'm better at it than she is. Mainly because she, she doesn't have the interest, you know. Right. So, uh, that's going to vary from couple to couple, you know. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is you, you have to work together. And, uh, 
we've always done that. It's it's always been a natural thing. In a lot of ways, when I when I have brothers in Christ that you know I hear their story about finding the right woman and and all the stuff that that you know uh, the male female relationship uh, that that people go through today. I I almost feel guilty because I missed all that. I really did. I so never. Let's. This question you know, is further down the list, but since we're at it, what are three? Two or three or four things that you advice that you would give to a single man, no matter because there are a lot of single men these days in their 50s, 60s, oh, 70s, yeah, man, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Yeah. What would be some of your advice to give them to find the woman that they're meant to marry? And, and what would you have them do? Well, the first thing I would do, and this, you know, you and I are at the age where this may sound kind of stupid, but I, but, but but it really isn't. Please stay with me, brother. Uh huh. The first thing I would do to any young man is to understand and to look, study this thing called courtship and dating. <gasps> yes! Okay. And we have that. I just did a podcast on that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lost art. I know. <laughs> it really is. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a dangerous situation. Right. You know, because people, the, and both men and women do this. They, you know, this starts out usually physical attraction, which that's always the case. There's always a physical, right? Might start, right? But it can't stop there, and that can't be your your basis, right? Um, you have to get to know that person emotionally, uh, intellectually. Uh, don't want to go, you know, if you're, if you're looking to uh, um, have a godly marriage, you you need to have a, a woman who also wants the same thing. Yes, and and that takes time discerning, uh, to discern that. You know, but if you, you know. here and, and man, the, the show like the you haven't heard this because you probably listen to any of the shows, huh. but the the show starts out with "Hello and welcome to Catholic Alpha Radical," um, uh, where our main mission is to keep you out of divorce court. Yeah, there you go. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then it goes down a little bit, and it says, it says. While teaching men um, about relationships and marriage and that dating is for sex and courting is for marriage. Yeah. That, that is the intro of the show. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> see, see, the thing of it is, and this started in the 60s and 70s, you know, is that mm -hmm. the whole society started looking at relationships with the, the uh, lens of, of, of sexual activity and sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. That is a huge problem because doesn't that it, is the smallest part of any of us. It, but man, you know, doesn't it, you know, doesn't, yeah. when you have, when a man has sex with a woman and he's not married to her, it just changes things. Well, it does. It changes it does. everything. Like, yes. you know, first of all, when you piss her off, then she goes and puts a, she slits your tire. Yeah, I mean, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because yeah. it's all emotional now. It's all emotional. And it's not, uh, and the other thing that happens with, with sexual intercourse is that the relationship becomes focused on that. So you don't have time to, you don't have, you, know, you just don't get the opportunity to understand someone intellectually, emotionally, and of course, spiritually. And, and if you really, yeah. and if you really like them. See, because right. my, one of the things that I, I talk about a lot is I call it the best friend concept. 
if you were a, man, a single man and you're dating a woman and y'all basically within that, you should really only be St. Louis de Montfort says you should be, you should only be courting for six months and then you need to be sad if we're going to get married or not. Right. Okay. Because you can start that discernment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. you can't keep you. First of all, you can't keep the hormones off a lot much longer than yeah. that. <laughs> but the best friend concept is you're dating your, your best friend should be your wife. And so if you're dating and over that six months to a year or whatever, your goal should be trying to make, you know, be the best friends as you can with that, with that person. Right. So that when you get married and then the sex and the, and the, um, the, you know, not, I'm not going to say lust because it's marriage, but when the, we'll just say the marital, the marital embrace intimacy dies down, yeah, then you, you got have something to, to fall back on. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, which is God and being your best friend. Because you're, you're really right. interested in each other. Yeah. And and everything is better at the moment, including the sex gets better. Amen, brother. <laughs> but it's got to be it's got to be the it's got to be the whole ticket. And, it does. And today you got this hookup culture, which that was beginning in the 60s, 70s. Now it's it's a crescendo pace. Now I I, I don't know. I don't. I would I would hazard to guess what it would be dating today when you got Tinder and all this stuff going on, and you have all these expectations, and it's all so shallow. It really is. It really is shallow. And it really is. You know, we, we mentioned the feminism thing earlier. And one of the, the great ironies of this change, cultural change is, is in the advent of, of feminism is that really the value of the woman today has been reduced. It hasn't been, everyone thinks they've raised women up. They no. really haven't. They've turned them into the, it's, you know, a sexual object or, or, or oftentimes these, what passes for relationship today, might, it might as well be the really cool ride at the theme park. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not the way humans are supposed to, to live, you know, and, uh, yeah. And, and through that carnage, you know, men are definitely confused. Uh, you know, um, but a dude, but she, she, yeah. she gave it to me. She wants to give right. it to yeah, me. Right. I, as a man, yeah. I gotta give it to her back. Right. Right. And if you, and if you look how quickly, how men accepted this feminist thing, you know, that, that's a major deal. So, so I think we guys have a lot, a lot to do that because we're like, we hey man, this is great. You know, right. I get that. I get, it's like a kid in a candy store, but really you're not, you're not doing anything. You're not gaining anything other than getting fat on sugar. You're not getting, <laughs> you know, there's nothing there. Because look, like. either you pay now or yeah, you, you pay later. later. You're going to pay. Yeah. Okay. So when did you first consider becoming a deacon in the Catholic faith? And why did you ultimately give yourself and your family over to Christ and his church by becoming a deacon? Well, that, Really, God come knocking on my door, uh, it, and and I'm very certain on this because I heard the call as I began hearing the call. It was over two or three years, and my first thought was, "No, thank you." Right? <laughs> it's not. It's not for me. Right? But it just wouldn't go away. the The one thing that kind of led me to even looking at the diaconate is, as I mentioned before, I came up from a tough situation, and I had a lot of help. I had a lot of people that, you know, both inside my family and outside my family who really helped me bring me along to the point that I could never repay them. So the only thing that I could really do, and, and I come from a culture, is you, you try to repay, you know, debts. Yes, right, right. Um, but there was no hope of ever repaying that debt. So the only thing I could do is maybe 
go spend some time giving to others who need it. So the mm-hmm. poor, the the uh, when I say poor, I don't just mean a lot of times in Catholic culture we're always talking the economy, the 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 corporally right impoverished. That's important, right? But spiritually impoverished, which is, is way more important, important right? Uh, helping those folks, right? Um, and you know, as a married man, as a as a uh, 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 someone who who honestly, as a young man, never even thought about hearing the call of the priesthood. You know, I wasn't, I didn't even think about it. Um, the more I learned about this ministry, the more it started making sense to me. Until one day, you know, probably after 30 no's, I'm like, okay, God, I give up. You're right. You know more than me. And I moved into the diaconate. Um, so what's the what's the difference between a Protestant deacon at a Baptist church and a deacon in the Catholic church? Oh, my goodness. You have such a great question. <laughs> that is the toughest part of, of my ministry. First of right. all, a lot of Catholics don't understand the function of a deacon. Right, right, Well, it right. gets worse when you stepped into the Protestant religion because it varies so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some congregations, they will refer to someone that, as a deacon that would basically be doing the fun, uh, the same ministry as what, say, what we would call the ushers or the 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 uh, we're welcoming people, seating them. They'll right. call them a deacon. That's true. Others, uh, the word deacon and elder gets the word deacon and elder gets interchanged. Uh, right, that's true. Yeah, and those guys are hiring and firing the preacher. Okay, right, right. So right. they're running the church. Right, right. Uh, with the exception of the Presbyterian, the Episcopalians, and the Presbyterians, um. Virtually every no one else really lines up with our concept of a deacon. First, I have a liturgical role uh-huh. to assist at mass, to assist the priest, right? Proclaim the gospel, right? Fifty um, percent of my my ministry is to co- take the word outside to help. You know, it's a service. You know, it's a service ministry, right? right. Uh, so those things are are done. Um, very specifically, there's a liturgical role, there's a teaching role within the church, but mostly it's, it's stepping outside uh, into the world. The liturgical role, the liturgical role, really has helped to feed the deacon. It's helped to give us a little extra, little extra serving of grace, so that when we go out, you know, priests don't need deacons on the altar. They valid masters saying every day without right, priests. Right. It's more to help the deacon and to help the people understand uh, a little closer to to the laity. The, the the Protestants, you know, really don't understand that. Um, I have been involved in um, ecumenical, a lot of ecumenical functions. Uh, just now, they to the point that oftentimes when I'm in those roles, I don't even use the word deacon because it's too confusing until I get a chance to know them and explain mm-hmm. what deacon means. Um, now, the ecumenical thing, man, since we, you know, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't brought one of those questions down, but... Th- you know, this is one of the things that I, I think is really is really um, detrimental to the church in that ecumenical basically is everybody trying to come together and then we're going to compromise on what Christ believes. Well, and and the thing that really upsets me about it is either Jesus is right and he's God or he's not. So yeah. you don't come. It's only one church and there's only one truth. So when people come in, I mean, if Catholics and, and, and cardinals and bishops are bringing people in to 
to have a this a a uh really it's the thing in the end is is there's it's not a discussion. It shouldn't be a discussion. It's about this is the truth. Do you accept it or not? And then we should be trying to convince them of the truth of the faith. Well, that's true. I hear what you're saying. Unfortunately, a lot of times these these activities do, um, I guess, degrade into a search for a compromise. Right. That's a perfect word. Yeah. Degrade into. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. There are there are legitimate disagreements within the Christian community. Uh-huh. That probably will never be resolved. Good people can agree to disagree. When it's done right, we concentrate on what we do agree upon. For the, in other words, so if you're in a Christian environment, you know, it's Jesus Christ, Son of God. God became man. You know, he is both God and man. Christian, most Christian, what would I would what I would define as Christian environments, that that's that's a uh, common denominator we can hold. The the emphasis of Scripture overall else, you know, we're going to disagree on that. You know, uh, basically, uh, what what uh, many of our bro- brothers and sisters have a li- uh, literal interpretation of the Bible, right? Whether we and we go as a contextual, right? So, but the bottom line is, we we can work through that, uh, but not by compromise because not by compromise because because ultimately somebody no. has to have authority. To some, yes, but but we can work in different fear, uh, spheres. The key is that we don't have to fight each other. Right. If you look at the history of Christianity and the world, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess it is my op- humble opinion that Christians have no excuse for, for fighting each other, especially when it gets to the point of spilling blood, which has been into our, our history. It's like yeah. how we are today, like yeah. with, with the— uh, they call themselves traditional Catholics, and then you have the kind of the um, non-traditional, the more liberal Catholics. Yeah. And then you know we're trying to we're out here trying to fight Islam and fight the United States government and trying to bring right. souls to Christ, and we're fighting over stuff that makes no sense. Yeah, that, that has no relevance, right? In the big picture, it just right. Yeah. And it's, and sometimes I think sometimes yeah. the bickering just needs somebody. Somebody just be quiet and say, "Look, man, we know we're Catholics." Right, but we we got a bigger foe right now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you do. We have uh, actually we have more than one. Yeah, we got several, and uh, and maybe it's always been like that. All right, that was part one of our interview with Deacon Brad Anderson, and I hope you enjoyed that. Be sure and catch the second part of our interview with Deacon with the Deacon in episode 10 of Catholic Alpha Radical. And in conclusion, we will end with a great quote from Pope Benedict XVI. Quote, society offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. So go forth, Christian soldier. The spiritual fight is up on you. Fast, pray, and prepare for battle. Thank you, Christian soldier, for listening in today. Remember, Catholic Alpha Radical is designed to repair, ignite, and once again spark the fire back into your marriage or relationship. So what's your next action step? 
One, share this podcast with someone needing help in their marriage or relationship. Two, rate this podcast if listening on iTunes. Three, subscribe to this podcast if listening on CatholicAlpha.com to get new episodes in your email now.